Welcome to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio.
the many choices Mits the call of many voices When they all call out to greet me I turn my eyes to thee Cause I found in him a loving friend Who stays with me till the very end Yes, I found in him a faithful guide He calls me his very own I choose you again and again I choose you again and again You mean so much to me, dear Lord I choose you
This is Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio. Oh, 
bad things I can't complain God is so good to me He is so good to me More than this world could be so good to me His Spirit came to me and gave me victory God is so good to me I can't complain Sometimes the clouds hang low And I'd like to see them go Then I ask the question, Lord Why so much pain? But He knows what's best
listening to Songs of Praise.
I've heard it has a shout of praise. Three little words sung with joy from someone so amazed. But every now and then I hear it from a broken heart of faith, spoken with a whisper as tears are wiped away.
Listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's Songs of Praise. 
there's a river flowing deep and wide coming from the Savior's side from his hands his feet his brow sweet holy tide underneath this river abide crimson river cover me and this flood by one will be purer than the breath of spring cleaner than the sparkling stream Forever 
thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Da -da 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 -da.
Go forward quickly and obey the holy word. Walls of doubt will tumble down. Yes, the walls. Yes, the walls. Yes, the walls. Yes, the walls came tumbling down. Joshua. Times round, then the walls, mighty walls came tumbling down, and the walls came tumbling down. The Lord is calling, sinner, come to Him today. Turn from this vain world tree now. If you will follow Him in faith, like Joshua, walls of sin will tumble down. Yes, the walls. Tumbling down, Joshua, 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 march seven times round, then the walls, then the walls came tumbling down, and the walls came tumbling down. Well, I've been to the river. I've been baptized, I've been washed in the blood of a lamb. I've been changed from the creature that once I was, and redeemed is now my name. I've been changed, I'm newborn now, all my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. Though my sins were as scarlet, they're white as snow. I was bound, but today I am free. I was lost in the darkness, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. I've been changed, I've been newborn now. All my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. Like the poor Hebrew children, I wandered long in a bare desert land to and fro. But I've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's land where the milk and honey flow. I've been changed, I've been newborn now, all my life has been rearranged. What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed, when at last in His presence I stand alone. He will wipe all the tears from my eyes. And I'll thank him for giving a wretch like me Lasting hope beyond the skies I've been changed, I've been newborn now My life has been rearranged What a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart Oh yes, I've been changed what a difference it made when the Lord came and stayed in my heart. Oh yes, I've been changed. I'm changed. You've been listening to Songs of Praise, a production of Threben Australia Radio.
Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, Who is my neighbour? It is fellowship with Christ, personal contact with a living Saviour, that enables the mind and heart and soul to triumph over the lower nature. Tell the wanderer of an almighty hand that will hold him up, of an infinite humanity in Christ that pities him. It is not enough for him to believe in law and force, things that have no pity and never hear the cry for help. He needs to clasp a hand that is warm, to trust in a heart full of tenderness. Keep his mind stayed upon the thought of a divine presence ever beside him, ever looking upon him with pitying love. Bid him think of a father's heart that ever grieves over sin, of a father's hand stretched out still, of a father's voice saying, Let him take hold of my strength, that he may make peace with me, and he shall make peace. Isaiah 27 verse 5 As you engage in this work, you have companions unseen by human eyes. Angels of heaven were beside the Samaritan who cared for the wounded stranger. Angels from the heavenly courts stand by all who do God's service in ministering to their fellow men. And you have the cooperation of Christ himself. He is the restorer, and as you work under his supervision, you will see great results. Upon your faithfulness in this work, not only the well-being of others, but your own eternal destiny depends. Christ is seeking to uplift all who will be lifted to companionship with himself, that we may be one with him as he is one with the Father. He permits us to come in contact with suffering and calamity in order to call us out of our selfishness. He seeks to develop in us the attributes of his character, compassion, tenderness and love. By accepting this work of ministry, we place ourselves in his school to be fitted for the courts of God. By rejecting it, we reject his instruction and choose eternal separation from his presence. If thou wilt keep my charge, the Lord declares, I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by, even among the angels that surround his throne. Zechariah 3 verse 7. By cooperating with heavenly beings in their work on earth, we are preparing for their companionship in heaven. Ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Hebrews 1 verse 14. Angels in heaven will welcome those who on earth have lived not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Matthew 20 verse 28. In this blessed companionship, we shall learn to our eternal joy all that is wrapped up in the question, Who is my neighbor? The Reward of Grace, based on Matthew 19, 16 to 30, chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, Mark 10, verses 17 to 31, and Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. The truth of God's free grace had been almost lost sight of by the Jews. The rabbis taught that God's favor must be earned. The reward of the righteous they hoped to gain by their own works. 
Thus their worship was prompted by a grasping, mercenary spirit. From this spirit, even the disciples of Christ were not wholly free, and the Saviour sought every opportunity of showing them their error. Just before he gave the parable of the labourers, an event occurred that opened the way for him to present the right principles. As he was walking by the way, a young ruler came running to him and kneeling, reverently saluted him. Good master, he said, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? The ruler had addressed Christ merely as an honoured rabbi, not discerning in him the Son of God. The Saviour said, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. On what ground do you call me good? God is the one good. If you recognize me as such, you must receive me as his son and representative. If thou wilt enter into life, he added, keep the commandments. The character of God is expressed in his law, and in order for you to be in harmony with God, the principles of his law must be the spring of your every action. Christ does not lessen the claims of the law. In unmistakable language, he presents obedience to it as the condition of eternal life, the same condition that was required of Adam before his fall. The Lord expects no less of the soul now than he expected of man in paradise, perfect obedience, unblemished righteousness. The requirement under the covenant of grace is just as broad as the requirement made in Eden, harmony with God's law, which is holy, just, and good. To the words, keep the commandments, the young man answered, which? He supposed that some ceremonial precept was meant, but Christ was speaking of the law given from Sinai. He mentioned several commandments from the second table of the Decalogue, then summed them all up in the precept, Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. The young man answered without hesitation, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? His conception of the law was external and superficial. Judged by a human standard, he had preserved an unblemished character. To a great degree, his outward life had been free from guilt. He verily thought that his obedience had been without a flaw. Yet he had a secret fear that all was not right between his soul and God. This prompted the question, What lack I yet? If thou wilt be perfect, Christ said, Go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The lover of self is a transgressor of the law. This Jesus desired to reveal to the young man, and he gave him a test that would make manifest the selfishness of his heart. He showed him the plague spot in his character. The young man desired no further enlightenment. He had cherished an idol in the soul. The world was his God. He professed to have kept the commandments, but he was destitute of the principle which is the very spirit and life of them all. He did not possess true love for God or man. This want was the want of everything that would qualify him to enter the kingdom of heaven. In his love of self and worldly gain, he was out of harmony with the principles of heaven. When this young ruler came to Jesus, his sincerity and earnestness won the Saviour's heart. He, beholding him, loved him. 
In this young man he saw one who might do a service as a preacher of righteousness. He would have received this talented and noble youth as readily as he received the poor fisherman who followed him. Had the young man devoted his ability to the work of saving souls, he might have become a diligent and successful laborer for Christ. But first he must accept the conditions of discipleship. He must give himself unreservedly to God. At the Saviour's call, John, Peter, Matthew and their companions left all, rose up and followed him. Luke 5 verse 28. The same consecration was required of the young ruler. And in this Christ did not ask a greater sacrifice than he himself had made. He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. The young man had only to follow where Christ led the way. Christ looked upon the young man and longed after his soul. He longed to send him forth as a messenger of blessing to men. In the place of that which he called upon him to surrender, Christ offered him the privilege of companionship with himself. Follow me, he said. This privilege had been counted a joy by Peter, James and John. The young man himself looked upon Christ with admiration. His heart was drawn toward the Saviour, but he was not ready to accept the Saviour's principle of self-sacrifice. He chose his riches before Jesus. He wanted eternal life, but would not receive into the soul that unselfish love which alone is life, and with a sorrowful heart he turned away from Christ. As the young man turned away, Jesus said to his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? These words astonished the disciples. They had been taught to look upon the rich as the favorites of heaven. Worldly power and riches they themselves hoped to receive in the Messiah's kingdom. If the rich were to fail of entering the kingdom, what hope could there be for the rest of men? Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure. Now they realized that they themselves were included in the solemn warning. In the light of the Saviour's words, their own secret longing for power and riches was revealed. With misgivings for themselves, they exclaimed, Who then can be saved? Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. A rich man as such cannot enter heaven. His wealth gives him no title to the inheritance of the saints in light. It is only through the unmerited grace of Christ that any man can find entrance into the city of God. To the rich, no less than to the poor, are the words of the Holy Spirit spoken, Ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. When men believe this, their possessions will be held as a trust, to be used as God shall direct, for the saving of the lost and the comfort of the suffering and the poor. With man this is impossible, for the heart clings to its earthly treasure, the soul that is bound in service to mammon is deaf to the cry of human need. But with God all things are possible. 
By beholding the matchless love of Christ, the selfish heart will be melted and subdued. The rich man will be led, as was Saul the Pharisee, to say, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. Then they will not count anything their own. They will joy to regard themselves as stewards of the manifold grace of God and for his sakes servants of all men. Peter was the first to rally from the secret conviction wrought by the Saviour's words. He thought with satisfaction of what he and his brethren had given up for Christ. Behold, he said, we have forsaken all and followed thee. Remembering the conditional promise to the young ruler, thou shalt have treasure in heaven, he now asked what he and his companions were to receive as a reward for their sacrifices. The Saviour's answer thrilled the hearts of those Galilean fishermen. It pictured honours that fulfilled their highest dreams. Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And he added, There is no man that have left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel's, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But Peter's question, What shall we have therefore? had revealed a spirit that uncorrected would unfit the disciples to be messengers for Christ, for it was the spirit of a hireling. While they had been attracted by the love of Jesus, the disciples were not wholly free from Pharisaism. They still worked with the thought of meriting a reward in proportion to their labor. They cherished a spirit of self-exaltation and self-complacency and made comparisons among themselves. When one of them failed in any particular, the others indulged feelings of superiority. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. Enjoy the short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. In the year 1800, a 16-year-old Welsh girl longed to own her own Bible. She'd been saving up her pennies from the age of 10, and finally she had enough to buy her own Bible. Mary was from a poor family, and there were many other things she could have spent her money on, such as a pair of shoes, but she really wanted a Bible in her own language. The problem was though, the nearest one was 28 miles away. And undeterred by the distance and her lack of shoes, she set off from her home right here and walked through the valleys to the town of Bala.
Arriving here in the town of Bala, she went to the home of Reverend Thomas Charles. Today, his home stands on the high street and has now been converted into a bank. He was so inspired by her story that he sold her three Bibles for the price of one. One of those today is in the National Library in Wales, and another one is at Cambridge University's library. The story of Mary Jones inspired many others. Reverend Joseph Hughes asked a daring question of church leaders soon after. If for Wales, why not for the kingdom? And if for the kingdom, why not for the world? That question posed at a meeting of the Religious Tract Society on the 7th of December, 1802, would reverberate around Wales and ultimately the world. Captured by the vision of the Bible being readily available in the language of the people, William Wilberforce and other members of the Clapham sect sprang into action. They made this vision part of their campaign to make goodness fashionable in the hope that people would fall in love with the Bible and a biblically inspired way of life. At a meeting on the 7th of March, 1804, of around 300 people in the London Tavern, which used to stand near here on Bishopsgate, William Wilberforce and the campaigning groups he was a part of formed the British and Foreign Bible Society, now known as the Bible Society. In the last 200 years, they have gone into over 200 different countries with God's Word. Soon after this society was formed, in 1816, the American Bible Society was formed in New York City. Later in the 19th century, inspired by Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission, seven students at Cambridge University, later known as the Cambridge Seven, gave up promising careers and sailed to China to be missionaries. Their influence inspired many others, causing the number of missionaries in China to swell from 165 in 1885 to 800 just 15 years later, approximately one-third of the Protestant missionary force. The Keswick Convention also had a profound impact on mission service, inspiring many people to devote their lives to the service of God in faraway lands. As the dark ages came to a close and the light of God's word was beginning to shine, Daniel 12 verse 4 was being fulfilled. The 1260-year prophecy, which came to a close in 1798, coincided with the words of Daniel, who said that many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This referred to knowledge of the Bible, which would only increase as people had access to it, a cause that countless missionaries devoted their lives to. Today, mission service may not be as cutting edge as it was back then, or the Bible as new, but the need for both is still vital. The Great Commission still applies today. There are countless people who have never heard of the Bible and who have no idea what Christianity is. Maybe God is calling you to be a missionary, to leave your home, your place of comfort, and fly away to a different land and be a missionary for God there where people have not heard of Him yet. 
May we treasure God's word as did Mary Jones, and may we go wherever God calls us. More episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com.